Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast series, Immersa, People and Passion, sponsored by the ATTC Network. I'm your host, Doreen Bader, the Executive Director of Immersa. This week, we'll be hearing about palliative care, bridging the gap for addiction treatment in people with serious illness. Our subject matter experts on this topic are Dr. Julie Childers and Katie Fitzgerald-Jones, moderated by Dr. Janet Ho. Dr. Childers graduated from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine in 2005 and completed residency training in internal medicine at the University of Rochester. She completed fellowship training in palliative care and obtained a master's degree in medical education in 2010. She began treating opioid use disorder and in 2018 became board certified in addiction medicine. In addiction to her work as a palliative care specialist, she attends on the inpatient addiction medicine consult service as an active outpatient practice treating substance use disorders and developed a new ACGME accredited addiction medicine fellowship. She has written and taught nationally in the areas of teaching communication, motivational interviewing, medical ethics, and managing addiction in patients with serious illness. Katie Fitzgerald Jones is a palliative nurse practitioner at the VA Boston Healthcare System and a PhD student at Boston College Connell School of Nursing. Her clinical and research interests are to improve pain management, quality of life, and enhance opioid safety in individuals with cancer and substance use disorder. Past clinical experience includes developing a sustainable palliative care nurse practitioner fellowship at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and at Brigham and Women's Hospital, serving as the palliative care nurse director and creating an innovative palliative care program for older adults at the Hebrew Senior Life. Ms. Jones has been an active member of the palliative care academic community. She's a co-leader of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Buprenorphine Clinical Mentorship Support and Research Group. Dr. Janet Ho is a board-certified palliative medicine and addiction medicine physician at the University of California, San Francisco. Her clinical and research interests lie at the intersection of serious illness, addiction, pain, and chronic cancer pain. Dr. Ho is dedicated to improving provider knowledge and confidence in primary palliative care and addiction medicine, improving disparate quality of life and care for patients with life-limiting serious illness and addiction, understanding the role of buprenorphine in palliative care, and challenging stigma against patients who use drugs. She is also the co-leader of the National Buprenorphine Peer Mentorship Support Group for Palliative and Hospice Providers and has contributed to several book chapters and manuscripts on addiction and serious illness. So Julie, as a palliative care educator and teacher of serious illness conversations and having difficult conversations with trainees, can you just describe a little bit about what palliative care does? Yeah, and I I explain that differently depending on who I'm talking to in terms of patients versus other doctors, Uh, but basically, Palliative care is a type of care that tries to provide comprehensive care to a person, a family, when that person is undergoing any type of serious illness. Um, And we often define serious illness as, you know, by thinking about a question that we might ask a physician or other clinician caring for a patient, like, would you be surprised if this person dies within the next year or sometimes the next two years? Um, And if the answer is no, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they were to die during that time period, then that person is appropriate and eligible for palliative care. 
So it doesn't necessarily mean someone is dying, although we do take care of people in the very last weeks and hours of life as well. But we also take care of people who will live years and sometimes even near normal lifespans. And just like with addiction medicine, we attend to not only a lot of sort of pharmacologic things, but we care for the person, the family, spirituality. We try to help arrange care in different care settings uh, for them. Great. And so how did you kind of move from that area um, into becoming interested and board certified in addiction medicine? So for me, it started back in about 2009 when I was doing my fellowship in palliative care, and I encountered a patient in the hospital who had cancer, who had been on buprenorphine uh, for a history of opioid use disorder. Um, and she came into the hospital for a procedure for her cervical cancer, and she was in such severe pain, and nobody knew what to do or how to manage her or, or how she would follow up afterwards. And I began to see people with substance use disorders as a really um, very much an underserved population that experienced a lot of stigma. And I began to want to try to reach out to, to improve care. So when I finished my fellowship, I started a very small clinic within our general medicine practice to prescribe buprenorphine for opioid use disorder. Um, and that was a time in which it was much less common to be able to provide that, especially to patients who were on Medicaid. And then from there, it's gone to working to sort of integrate palliative care and addiction medicine in terms of providing patients who have serious illness and also have uh, a substance use disorder, try to see how we can provide excellent care. And I'm going to turn it over to Katie because I'm also eager to hear her story about how she, uh, how she came to combine both. Thanks, Julie. Um, so I've been a palliative care um, nurse practitioner for over 10 years and spent some time in primary care before that. And in my time in palliative care, there's been kind of a shift where we used to see patients in the last period of life, and now we're seeing patients more upstream, so even a diagnosis of a serious illness. And as part of that prolonged survival, I've witnessed a lot of shift in the field when thinking about um, how to take care of patients longitudinally. And a big part of that was seeing people suffering over time with a substance use disorder. And I remember even early on just seeing a lot of suffering in patients that had addiction uh, that was just really ignored. And I even remember mentors saying to me, you know, they who cares if they are having, you know, drinking too much or having at-risk substance use, you know, they're dying anyway, and it's pleasurable to them. And that just didn't match my experience. I saw people um, with substance use suffering tremendously and often having really complicated illness courses and end-of-life courses that were we just weren't equipped to handle. And I felt really lucky to stumble upon Julie's work and Jessica Merlin's work to help me understand how to better care for these patients that I, again, I think their suffering was just really ignored. So having kind of been on service for the last few weeks on the palliative care service, there's consistently been for me, at least a patient um, who has either had a history of substance use disorder or an active one. And I'm wondering for I guess for you, Katie, first, um, 
you know, whether you can actually share a case or a patient that you remember that illustrates some of the kind of merging of these complexities of serious illness, like a life-limiting prognosis and, and substance use. Sure. And these are really memorable patients for, for me because I learned a, a great deal from all of them. But I can think of a, a young patient I had fairly recently that had a very aggressive cancer and had a history of uh, being on long-term opioids and having some concerning misuse behaviors. And um, so he was taken off long-term opioids and then presented with cancer about five years later. And we started him on opioids for cancer-related pain. And he described to me that they just grabbed hold of him and that he had a really hard time managing his cravings. And as a result, he was constantly in and out of opioid withdrawal um, because he would take all of his medications at once or kind of in a state of desperation, eat his fentanyl patches or try to find um, opioids from other sources. And it, he spent most of his time revolved around his cravings and managing his withdrawal. And it was clear to me that we had to have a different, we had to approach things differently. And so we had put him on buprenorphine and he had actually done pretty well for about six months. He had gone on a vacation. He was enjoying his time, which was, you know, quite limited. And then he had progression of his cancer. He went um, and got percutaneous nephrostomy tubes and he was taken off of his buprenorphine as kind of a routine practice by surgeons. And we were never able to get him back on. He had a lot of pain. He then was suffering a lot psychologically with his disease progression as a young adult, facing issues of mortality. And really at the end of his life, we were in this hard place where he had pretty poor control of his pain and pretty poor control of his substance use disorder. And as a consequence, wasn't really able to do end of life tasks that I think he had wanted to do. And, and I shouldn't say they were entirely uncontrolled. I mean, I think we did make some headway. And I often think in palliative care, there's like this false dichotomy of is this pain or is this substance use disorder when they're both often coexisting. And we tried to tackle both of those issues together, but it really, these patients fall in a gray area and it's really challenging and there's not great literature to guide us. And, um, you know, my hope as a early researcher is to try to get some literature out there that can help guide people because these are really challenging cases. Yeah, they are. And, you know, kind of on the outpatient side, Julie, you were mentioning this clinic that's a kind of a joint clinic to see patients with both serious illness and addiction. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you see as outpatient provider for patients that fall into this gray area? Yeah, so I've been doing outpatient addiction treatment for for a while, um, and I had occasionally gotten patients from my palliative care colleagues referred to me in my in my clinic. However, there's there's a real need for people for treatment for people, especially people with active cancer causing pain, such as the one that Katie is describing, and active addiction, um, because those people fall through the cracks. The Addiction, their addiction provider, you know, I've seen cases where their addiction provider has said, oh, you can't be on buprenorphine at the same time as opioids, or oh, now you have cancer, go to the palliative care clinic and you don't have to see us anymore. Um, and then the palliative care clinic may 
take may prescribe them opioids. The problem is that you know the palliative care team has been working on getting better at awareness of addiction issues. So they're more inclined to sort of screen and ask patients. And you know, at some point, often it invariably comes up that the substance use disorder um, becomes more uncontrolled and exacerbated. One thing I think about is that a serious illness like cancer or something else is one of the most stressful things that can happen to an individual in a family. Um, so if you have someone with a substance use disorder that may have it in remission and relatively controlled, or sometimes it's somebody who has a history of a substance use disorder in the past and they're not even on any treatment, but then they get this diagnosis and they develop pain and they get prescribed opioids and they're incredibly stressed and anxious. They're worried about dying. They're trying to make it to a million doctor's appointments. That is a setup for someone to have a relapse and to resume use. So it's an extremely dangerous time for people with substance use disorders when they've been diagnosed with a serious illness or being treated with a serious illness. And what unfortunately has tended in the past to happen is that when these folks are seeing palliative care, people are prescribing them opioids, the addiction issue goes un, uh, unaddressed and eventually the person may run into trouble with how they're using their prescribed substances or it becomes clear that they're using um, street drugs, for example. And then oftentimes they then get just dismissed from palliative care or hospice. We can't help this person because they have an addiction. Um, unfortunately, people get kicked out of hospices for using substances all the time. So there's this big treatment gap. That is the thing that we're trying to address here in Pittsburgh and similar programs may be starting other places. Um, Jesse Merlin, who Katie mentioned and I have started an outpatient, a small outpatient practice where we accept referrals for people with advanced cancer or some other life limiting diagnosis for whom there's a concern about addiction. Um, and we will assess them for addiction. We'll also assess their palliative care needs. Both of us are trained in palliative care as we're also board certified addiction physicians. And we may, in some cases, we prescribe buprenorphine and we may also add other opioids in addition to the buprenorphine, especially if this person has pain that's clearly related to their active cancer with the theory that buprenorphine will stabilize them and enable them to, to control their use any from opioids or other substances. Um, and that's the kind of thing that we're hoping that Katie will study and eventually give us some evidence that it, that it actually works. But we're something we're trying right now in small numbers of patients. And I think you bring up a good point, Julie, that I think gets a little lost in the day-to-day -day priorities of palliative care clinicians is that oftentimes we see people approach patients with co-occurring pain and substance use disorders, we have to treat the pain first and then we can address the addiction. But you really can't address the pain until you address the addiction. And both of those serious illnesses need to be treated at the same time and deserving of equal attention. Yeah. And I think one other thing I think that you alluded to, Katie, is that I'm not sure how much this is a misconception on the addiction side of things in terms of what addiction professionals believe, but there's a sense that, you know, if you have a person with an addiction, you, if you give them all the opioids they want, you're fine. So just also going back to something that Katie alluded to is that I think some addiction medicine professionals may not 
have thought of or may not be aware, I think a lot of sort of general medicine practitioners or even palliative care practitioners are not aware that people with active substance use disorders are suffering. There's this misconception that, you know, if, if a person with a substance use disorder has unlimited access to their substance, then they'll be happy and everything will be fine. And I think those of us who practice addiction medicine can see that's not the case. I mean, there's a cycle of withdrawal and um, craving, there's uh, family chaos, there's the inability to carry through carry out daily responsibilities for people with serious illness. They often need to try to make it to chemotherapy or other doctor's appointments. And for people who are in active addiction, have a lot of time, a lot of very hard time doing um, most of those things. So that's why one reason why it's important to treat addiction um, in folks with serious illness. Something that I hear you both alluding to is just how much kind of comprehensive care a patient needs when they have both life-limiting serious illness and addiction. But so often, you know, in the healthcare system, care is siloed and um, we don't often kind of reach out to other providers, especially when we feel like, for instance, um, an addiction medicine fellowship, we, we didn't really get trained on how to treat pain. And then in palliative care fellowship, um, we weren't trained on how to assess for addiction. And so I'm curious, you know, how you think that addiction medicine providers can kind of collaborate with palliative care providers or how we can better support um, our patients with serious illness so that they don't fall through the cracks. Uh, that's a great question. I have found so I'm, I now work at VA Boston, and I have found um, just tremendous support um, within my institution to find a mentor from an addictions fellow to an addiction attending. And I remember the first time I put a patient on buprenorphine, they had had cancer pain, and um, they developed an opioid use disorder, had a lot of distressing, problematic behaviors that were really causing them a great deal of suffering. So despite having stage four cancer, we engaged shared decision-making and it was decided to start him on buprenorphine. And I was terrified. He had been prescribed 400 of morphine equivalents for about two years. Because he was prescribed opioids, he had never experienced opioid withdrawal. So he was not eager about going through that. And it was, it was really hard. And I remember the addiction specialist saying to me, you know, I will help you with this, but because, because he hasn't had the usual um, behaviors of addiction, like illicit use or, you know, maybe at meeting every DSM criteria for addiction, we are not willing to prescribe it for him. So if you are, you know, we will help you do that, but he doesn't meet clear cut criteria for an addiction. And so this was really hard because, again, our, our patients kind of fall in this gray area, particularly because they're prescribed opioids for a really long time. And often it's a clinical judgment over time around how much um, suffering is being caused by the opioid or alcohol or whatnot. And so that was a great experience for me. And since that time, we've been able to kind of make uh, gains in how we have an appreciation for each other's field and the ways that my training, you know, might fall short in certain areas and their training might fall short in other areas, but it has been about relationship building. But I think importantly um, to recognize that a lot of palliative care clinicians actually don't have access to an addiction specialist. And that is a problem. 
and hopefully one that we can improve through some of the work that we're doing, but also and palliative care clinicians taking advantage of some of the mentorship support that's out there through PCSS and other things. I guess in my experience at MGH, one of the ways that, you know, we had been collaborating to care for these complex patients that are in these situations that you've been describing is having a kind of multidisciplinary SUDS tumor board where patients with kind of life-limiting cancers, as well as complex opioid use behavior, so either opioid use disorder or some non-medical use could be brought to this forum where addiction medicine specialists were there, palliative care, radiation oncology, psychology, psychiatry, social work, to really think about all the different angles of how we can improve this person's care. And I think part of the benefit was that uh, we were all educated in what the other people did and some of the perspectives that they brought. So maybe, Julie, you could talk a little bit more about some of the other kind of educational efforts that are happening. I think Katie was mentioning that, you know, having more peer support, finding mentorship could be an important piece of moving progress forward. Yeah, so all those things. And, you know, I'm a clinician educator, so I've been involved with the education of palliative fellows. Also, you know, we have done presentations at the National Palliative Conference on addiction and buprenorphine. And then we've also done presentations at the ACM Conference on palliative care and collaborations. And I think the most important thing is to get exposure. I have, as part of a palliative care fellowship, actually, when I was a palliative care fellow, I I self-designed my own um, addiction rotation. And so I got some clinical exposure to addiction medicine as a palliative care fellow. And then, you know, that rotation is still available to our local fellows. Now I'm an addiction medicine fellowship program director, and my fellows will have a pain rotation. Some of that pain rotation will be in the palliative care clinic. So they'll get to see the kind of patients that we see in palliative care, and they'll get to see how we are assessing for opioid use disorder and other substance use disorders in palliative care and see what some of the issues are with people on, you know, high dose opioids uh, over a prolonged time. So I think developing those educational collaborations is key. And, you know, I'm always looking for more collaborators. So I encourage folks to reach out if you're, especially if you're interested in education anywhere in the overlap of palliative care and addiction. You know, I think now with the pandemic, we're doing so much more virtually um, and we've got all gotten so much familiar, more familiar with Zoom. So I'm, there's going to be more opportunities for education that's done online virtually. Um, and I think taking advantage of connections and mentoring. Now it doesn't have to be people in your same institution or locally. I mean, there's more and more networks and virtual opportunities available to learn about addiction medicine um, if you're more in the palliative care end or vice versa if you're on the addiction end. And I think a lot of palliative care clinicians try to learn about addiction through other palliative care clinicians, which can be helpful because I think we speak the same language, but also I think there just needs to be more cross-pollination between the disciplines themselves because seeing people with addiction doesn't equate to expertise in treating people with addiction. And I also um, have really benefited from being a member of Immersa and attending sessions that are run by addiction medicine to really hone in on my skills. 
you know, some of that I feel like you're bringing back into peer support and support for other palliative care providers who might be facing what you were mentioning kind of at the beginning, you know, starting that first patient on buprenorphine or even assessing a patient for an OUD diagnosis or other addiction. Katie, can you talk a little bit about the peer buprenorphine support network that you helped to put together and, you know, maybe some of the surprises that have come out of that? Sure. So, Again, I, I, I see myself as uh, having expertise in this area, but still working towards developing more mastery through getting my NP addiction certification and doing my hours. Um, but again, I was really struck by how challenging it was to make the leap from being a wavered buprenorphine prescriber to actually starting somebody on buprenorphine. And so after doing it a couple times, I remember thinking, wow, I wish somebody was here to, you know, hold my hand when I was doing this or just help me know, do I stop all the agonists at the same time or do I, which withdrawal meds work better? Um, and so my brilliant colleague, Zach Sager, has this uh, innate ability to bring people together. And so he suggested starting this peer mentorship group and we advertised it on the um, um, hospice organization blogs and Twitter. And now we have over 200 members in the buprenorphine clinician support group. And it's been really valuable to have people talk about the challenges or even bring complex cases or even just point people to resources about how to do a home-based buprenorphine initiation and things to consider beyond the waiver. And I actually feel pretty fortunate as a nurse practitioner that I had to do the 24 hours. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I got three times the training that I wouldn't have had. And it only kind of made me have a taste for wanting more. And so the buprenorphine clinician support group is supposed to foster collaboration. And I know all of you and Zach, we get emails from people you know, what do you think about this? Or I have a patient that's experiencing this. So I think we're trying to start a community of, of mentorship within the palliative care fields, because again, I think it does have some unique challenges where often people have co-occurring pain and a substance use disorder and lots of other suffering going on that warrants, you know, a, attention and dialogue within the field. I also think oftentimes what's not talked about as much in the waiver is just making a diagnosis of a opioid use disorder, for example. And in palliative care, we're tended to rely on euphemisms about complex um, or concerning opioid misuse behaviors like chemical coping and pseudo addiction. And some of that has really been to our detriment because we haven't always made an opioid use disorder when it's there. And so a lot of the mentorship is around that as well. And we've been fortunate to have a couple products as a result of that group uh, survey that we're uh, working on publishing now and some textbook chapters and the um, evidence-based text for palliative medicine and a manuscript on looking at the overlap of substance use disorder treatment and palliative care. So both of you have been a part of those efforts and I think they've been really well received by the community. Yeah, it definitely has been quite a, a wonderful learning experience and collaboration to kind of watch this community grow of folks in palliative care who are interested and feel that it's important to educate ourselves more about addiction medicine. I guess I'm curious, Julie, where you think innovations come next? 
I think there's so many opportunities for collaboration between palliative care and addiction medicine in terms of education and developing new programs, as well as research um, about those programs and about what really works in this population. My focus as an educator often is, is educating the palliative care world. One of the things I'm hoping to do is develop a communication course um, in the palliative care training. We, we have special courses where we learn how to communicate about serious illness goals and discuss bad news, and, but we're really bad at discussing substance use. Um, I think Katie was referring to that. You know, it, it's this, unfortunately, the stigma around addiction is carried through in palliative care. So, you know, people who are trained in palliative care or seeing patients outpatient are, you know, feel like it would be embarrassing to ask somebody, tell me about your substance use, or have you ever used heroin? Have you ever bought opioids on the street? And if we can get comfortable just asking people these questions, then that often takes some of the stigma away. That shows that we're comfortable talking about substance use and you know, it's a problem that we can address rather than something that we, you know, sort of pretend is too shameful to talk about or we try to ignore. And maybe Katie, I'll turn it back to you as a researcher. What do you think, what are you, what areas are you most interested in next? So I'm interested in, well, I, I received a small grant from the Foundation of Addiction Nursing to look at about 13% of palliative care clinicians have their buprenorphine waiver. And so I'm interested in how they're actually prescribing buprenorphine. I, I suspect it's a wide range of indications, like at-risk opioid use. They come into their serious illness on buprenorphine. They are maybe put on buprenorphine as a means to help opioid deprescribing. And so I'm really interested in digging in about how we are actually using buprenorphine in the fields because I suspect we're somewhere in between how it's being used in addiction and how it's being used in the chronic pain world um, and suspect it's somewhere kind of overlapped in, in both fields. I'm also interested in what Julie had described in how patients are coping with substance use in the setting of a serious illness. You know, what I see in my clinical practice is that serious illness, again, is a time of intense stress and uncertainty. And I think as part of that, people can develop complicated relationships with substances such as prescribed opioids or benzodiazepines that are often a very um, real part of cancer care or serious illness care. And so I'm interested in learning about that from a patient perspective, because a lot of our work has been about how providers are handling um, prescribing or high-risk prescribing. But again, I think a lot of the work has to start with overcoming stigma, because a lot of people are reluctant to call complex substance use a substance use disorder. And maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. I know there's a lot of back and forth about that with terms like complex persistent dependence, which, you know, some colleagues at Yale use. And so um, just trying to dig in more about what this looks like in patients with serious illness. So I guess in, in you know, thinking about how to put this all together, um, Katie and Julie, do you have any kind of last thoughts for where we can go next together? So for me, I think I just would want to emphasize, assuming that many people 
listening to this are more the addiction world than the palliative care world is that just because someone has cancer or they have a serious illness, don't assume that um, they don't need addiction care. They may need addiction care more than ever and reach out to whoever's seeing them on that end, whether it's an oncologist or a palliative care provider. I think building those relationships and being in contact will be the most important thing for their ongoing care. I also think just recognizing that as a field, palliative care and addiction medicine have so much in common and that we often speak the same language and uh, draw upon the same principles, such as the importance of communication and patient-first language and minimizing suffering, meeting people where they are in their illness, and that we can learn a tremendous amount from each other because we are often coming from the same cloth. And I and I have really been struck by that, reading a lot of the work of real giants in the field, like Sarah Wakeman and Melissa Weimer and others that I've met through this organization. Well, thank you so much, Julie and Katie, for sharing some of your thoughts and experience about how we can come together to really improve the care for our patients with you know, concurrent life-limiting, serious illness, as well as addiction. I think there's a lot to do together. That was Dr. Julie Childers and Katie Fitzgerald-Jones in conversation with Dr. Janet Ho on the topic of palliative care, bridging the gap for addiction treatment in people with serious illness. Thanks so much for listening to that podcast. To learn more about the ATTC Network and the Association for Multidisciplinary Education and Research in Substance Use and Addiction, please visit our websites at attcnetwork.org and immersa.org. For a transcript of this podcast and other related resources, please visit the ATTC Network website. This podcast is supported by funding from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of HHS or SAMHSA. Information shared and views expressed reflect the speaker's best understanding of science or promising practices at the time of recording and should not be seen as directives. Content related to privacy and security in 42 CFR Part 2 presented during these sessions should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners are directed to discuss recommendations with their agency's legal counsel. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again.